Hi, Kostov. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. How are things in Bombay today? They look pretty good. Uh, I don't know. We've been having a recent rise in some of the cases here, but uh, the climate's holding pretty well. It's been nice and pleasant. Okay, we are having very chilly mornings, uh, and we are hoping that we get snow like Texas because <laughs> Texas then we can start selling ice cream to Eskimos, which is what brings me to the whole idea about how marketing and branding can yeah. help startups. Because often experience that the whole idea about startups and their existence is a bit like taking a chest of ice cream and putting it in front of Eskimos and saying, well, guys, here is the thing. You can only eat these ice creams and you cannot eat anything else and do not even think of warming them up. Mm -hmm. And so this morning I have with me Anirvan Mazumdar, a very old and dear friend of mine and CEO of Chlorophyll, which is a brand communications consultancy based out of Mumbai in India, which I insist on politically incorrectly calling as Bombay because it harks back to better days for all of us. And... Welcome, everybody, to the Sandhill. So today's discussion is really about branding and startups. We talk about the tech part of startups, and we often forget that while technology is about the engineering and the design behind the engineering, it is often not the answer to why a startup or a product was created in the first place. Now, what I have seen is that since the early 1990s, the whole word or the concept behind marketing has been relegated or delegated to a bunch of PR people. No disrespect, but PR is not marketing. The four P's of marketing have often been forgotten. And we had in between a long spell of what I would call as data-driven advertising, which has been forgive me for saying this, but a lot of data and not much in terms of creativity. We are all hoping that with great examples like Apple and Spotify and a few others around us, including Tesla, the whole world of rich creativity will come back to us and that will enhance branding. What I'm going to do today is to invite Anirban to talk about his perspective on branding uh, about startups and how that works and where he feels that this will lead. And hopefully we will have a nice little conversation and upset a few people who are going to listen into this later. Anirvan, all yours. Why don't you go ahead and give your piece? So I think, uh, Kosu, firstly, thanks for having me on the, at the Sand Hill. I've been uh, listening to your podcast, and I think there have been some very, very pertinent and lovely observations, lots to learn for someone like me. Uh, I think uh, to start you off, I think I couldn't agree more Kostu, with the fact that, um, you know, there is this uh, intrinsic uh, or sort of a, a inextricable link between technology and startup. But startups is not actually about technology. It is actually the first principles of good business. And I think a tremendous amount of human understanding. Basically, as I feel that as societies have gotten more complex, as technology has progressed and all of that, our needs be them, be, uh, you know, uh, basic needs, uh, uh, you know, emotional needs, social needs, everything is evolving and it is changing at a constant pace. 
So one of the things with uh, the new nature of change in humanity is that it is not overt. It is more in the mind because there is more and more things we are spending uh, time on is virtual, right? We are on the internet. We are communicating with each other. So a lot more happening in the mind than, you know, uh, externally, right? And I think that is where the opportunity for startups comes from. The opportunity for startups is actually about are you going to solve a unique problem that has risen because of the, you know, the entire way the civilization itself is evolving? Or are you going to solve a problem uniquely? So I think that's sort of uh, my point number one, which is that be obsessed about the human being and come with not just a belief or a purpose or a conviction, which I think is critical, but about solving something that is very fundamental. And uh, I mean, I'm not saying that you need to you have, always need to have it clearly articulated when you start. But someone, uh, my work with a lot of the startups and the founders has been to precisely help them see that point. So I'll give you an example. So, for example, when we were working with Naxter, which has just gone live in the U.S. right now. And the idea there is right. basically to, you know, um, get the benefit of experience of uh, older adults, as we call them. Uh, you know, who are 55 plus or 58 plus, because, uh, you know, so we, we initially started thinking of how do we get these people gainfully employed? And we realized uh, as we went on that it's not about uh, that. It's fundamentally saying that, look, the concept of superannuation or retirement is no longer relevant. That is an industrial era legacy, right? which comes from uh, the presumption of, uh, you know, that your limbic or physical movement is going to get restricted. In a knowledge economy, why would you ask people to just drop off after one day after they are 58 or something? I mean, most of the work we see are people who are senior people. So I think the understanding of this human opportunity is, is probably the bedrock of all the uh, of startups. I think the second big one is that, uh, uh, you know, apart from that innovation and because, you know, uh, I think uh, the quick go to market is a big advantage, right? Because corporations will really take time to commercialize versus you can go lean, agile, right. tie a product and go in. So I think those are the, the, that to me is a single biggest need for uh, st between startups and brandings, translating either an opportunity or some kind of a purpose or a conviction or even an ideal, right? into a large human opportunity that is scalable, that is, uh, and, you know, it's like perpetual growth, right? If you're going to, you know, really resolve this, uh, you know, a particularly large human problem, you know that you are going to, you know, take care of it. But um, does the aspiration is understood, but do we really see in the history of brands that they really do solve problems or are they basically great ideas which masquerade as problem solvers and along the way do solve a few problems but they're not really game changers let us just say that they're changes in experiences and they help people make some money uh, what would be your response to that I would uh, I wouldn't disagree with that completely, but it's a question of how you understand and approach branding costs. The point is that if you are talking right. to branding as simply the advertising, polishing the signboards, and a lot of lovely English, I agree. But some of the right. more biggest value creators in the world are not people who advertise, but people who have something very solid in in the way they do their business, in the way they approach their innovation pathway. 
in the way they look mm-hmm. at multiple stakeholders and not just one um, in terms of, you know, therefore having a very strong value system. So I think one of the things we always say is that brands, um, brand might be an idea, but branding is about living it, right? It is about aligning every aspect of it, not just your communication, to being inspired by that idea. So the biggest thing about Apple, is, if you think their sort of core idea is about thinking differently, is to about to continuing to think differently every time and in every category, not stopping at laptop computers or at uh, you know, portable music players or whatever that category incidentally might be. Right? So I think the, the consistently uh, delivering brand across all your functions and people and all your human stakeholders, right? I love the obsession with the customer, but your own people need to feel enriched. Your vendors and suppliers and whoever you interact with need to feel enriched. And if you can do this consistently over a period of time, because I think the new new trend in this uh, high volume technology content world is what I call internal boredom. So can we change things around? Right. Can we do something new this week? I understand that we should take advantage of topicality, but there have to be sort you have to be clear on what is the unchanging aspect of what you do. So I think if you liberate branding from this compulsive need to create content and communicate and put, bring it down to how it's enhancing value to your stakeholders and your fundamentals, you'll be in a good track to achieving whatever purpose you set it. Tech people um, generally, and this is my experience, which is of course not a lot, but um, for whatever, are usually of two kinds. One is those who obsess over product and the other one is those who obsess over delivery and infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that leads them to sort of spend a lot of time checking lists and going through scrum sessions and managing teams and shipping product uh, and fixing problems. Mm-hmm. Um, what has been your experience when you have worked with startup founders in terms of the level of attention to what you are talking about? I think uh, most, uh, so I'll, uh, there are two parts to your question. One is, I think you're talking about technologists, uh, where I have had mm. the fortune to work with a lot of them. But talking about right. startup founders, uh, Kostu, I think startup founders are extremely passionate uh, about the entire value chain of what they do. In fact, the fact is okay. that they probably immerse themselves and overwhelm themselves, uh, you know, by trying to do too much. And, you know, it is actually the softer aspects that often get ignored. But that's because they, it's not that they do not understand uh, the importance of it. Uh, it's just that there is too much to do. Uh, having said that, I think uh, uh, the newer age startups, I mean, the guys I've been working with, let's say, over the last couple of years, two, two and a half years, Many of them are not technologists by their day, like their day job, right? Most of them come from, right. uh, that's one. And second is uh, when we recently worked with uh, a, a, a startup which just got launched um, and there was a technologist at the helm as a founder, he actually was very clear that the, the part that really needs, uh, the part that he says we can do without much worry is the product. We know how to do it. We get it. Right. We understand it. But it is actually taking this narrative in a manner that connects with a large number of people so that we are able to quickly scale is where he said we need maximum help. 
he said i can't i cannot articulate to humans i can look at their behavior and i can create a product and interface and everything else i can work the data back so that part i know so i think the new age startups are far more worried about success from the demand side rather than fixes on the supply side in the early days of technology you were first time trying to build those things and therefore some of those startups the iconic ones like your facebook and everything are now in a stage where you know they are really the platform is so robust they are now trying to see what are the new you know uh, areas that they can serve or service but all new age startups whether it's d2c whether it's uh, you know services or whether it's technology i think they fundamentally understand the importance of uh, the narrative as it's called nowadays but it, that's really where it is you, you need a strong demand and a pull story because uh, replication is uh, is uh, you know very easy and much faster and uh, one of the major entry barriers is not just scaling but how quickly you scale because you have then that much more what i call data gap between you and the next guy that is that those are very interesting observations so um i have myself seen that um the whole problem about redundancy which means that whatever technology you came out with um is no longer unique in a few cycles yes. and is eminently replicable is a serious problem <coughs> now uh, historically the whole business around startups around the silicon valley culture which was obviously exported to all parts of the world including ours was about the uniqueness of code and the uniqueness of product and so forth and the problem that has come out from that is that much of that code is replicable much of that is open source yes. um there are codeless interfaces today available which moderately competent people can work yes. on um the code itself is becoming less and less complicated in terms of its uh, you know of our ability to implement um i think one of the issues that we are beginning to see then is that technology itself no longer remains a differentiator mm. now i know that quite a few vc firms still come out with the idea that all right um tell us what's unique about yourself and typically it's either the technology or it is the team um i believe we need to go further than that and where we need to go further is what you referred earlier to which is the human experience the human experience is partly served through the story or the narrative as people are putting it but i will go one step further again and say that while the term narrative is good it does not entirely explain the product the you know the offering i mean it's wrong to say the product but what is a company here for what is it offering you and why should you use it um in fact i'm afraid that the startup world in its own little hubris has often ignored valuable lessons from the past and those lessons include brands you know which are as recent as nike for instance or even walt disney although you know you may agree or disagree with disney's content mix uh, nowadays i mean if you tell me that i have to watch the 52nd episode of star wars and how they are going to conquer darkness then i'm sorry but i've fallen asleep in the dark but never mind that okay. um then you have older example 
Unilever, right? Um, Colgate. Many of these companies are often ignored in the um, narrative of great startups, but we often don't remember or choose not to remember that Unilever started in port sunlight out of a garage itself. And that was much earlier than HP, which is heralded as the original garage-based startup and so forth. Mm. So uh, Asian paints, for example, in India started by a bunch of guys who were mixing paints with their own hands and selling it door-to-door by bicycle. If that is not hacking and bootstrapping, I don't know what is. Exactly. Um, now, these companies, importantly enough, were very sophisticated in their understanding of how to tap human desire mm. and how to use excellence in creatives and later on in metrics of how to um, you know, reach out and tap the desire and convert that into monetizable uh, opportunities. Um, I'm afraid that we are not seeing that happen often enough because a lot of energy is getting expended into rounds of preparing for funding as opposed to preparing for the market. Mm. Um, and that is fundamentally, I'm afraid, a flaw which continues to exist at the heart of the startup ecosystem. Um, that needs to be taken care of and there are no easy answers. Um, it can get taken care of once a company reaches a certain maturity where it has got enough money to hire enough people or it is able to get publicly listed or sold to a large private equity player. The problem which then starts to happen once more is that the narrative of the company changes according to its new ownership structure. And sometimes it just gets absorbed into something else and so on and so forth. So one of the downsides of disruption and so-called creative destruction is that you do not land up building an enduring brand. Mm. The lack of an enduring brand means that in many product categories over an extended period of time, you do not have durable choice. Mm. You know, so if you talk about banking, for example, you have choice. So you have, you know, you can have ANZ and Commonwealth Bank and DBS, you know, all on the same street, so to speak. Or in India, you can have a, you can walk into a branch of any one of four or five banks. But today, if you look at it digitally, Actually, there aren't too many banks. I mean, people tell us on LinkedIn, hey, there are so many digi banks in your neighborhood. Mm. That is not quite true because quite a few of them are shutting down. Some of them are only available in a few places and not elsewhere. Others are snarled up in all kinds of problems of regulations. Mm. Their average shelf life is not yet at a level where we can say with confidence that they form a viable alternative. And again, no disrespect to them because they are doing a fantastic job in bringing out new concepts. Mm. Um, for example, I'm acquainted with the CEO of a Vietnamese DG bank called TNX, mm. and they're doing wonderful stuff in a country where, which is historically uncarded and unbanked. Mm. And I can see the reason why that bank would do extremely well because it's filling up that human experience vacuum, which has been there for yeah, many years. Yeah, precisely. But if you ask me, right. So if you ask me, and if I take another parallel, would a Digibank do better in Jakarta or in Surabaya? The answer probably is more nuanced. Somebody would say it would do better in one part of Jakarta than other, and it would definitely do much better in Surabaya or Jambi as opposed to Jakarta itself. And my problem 
here is that the human experience gap fill up is not happening enough in many parts of the world instead you know for the right reasons people are rushing toward capitalism and sitting there and they're not spreading out far enough and then their companies get taken over or they move on to other things i think this is going to continue to be a problem with the whole human experience issue um but what is your take i mean among the um, startups that you have seen or experience what is your view on durability of startups as brands so i, I think kasav uh, is trust uh, on a very pertinent point and uh, more than actually about the startups uh, uh, startups are going to be by definition should uh, uh, if they invest in branding be durable because the way we think of a brand is an idea that outlasts anybody right it can outlast humanity i mean the oldest brands yep. are 1000 years old and 1400 years old and so yeah. on and so forth right so the point i think is very important firstly i what i liked about what you said is that we don't really think of uh, colgate palmolive or i'm one of the big corporations today as being startups but they started somewhere right i mean Yes. so it's like you know you, you can't you, exactly. you never thought of william shakespeare as a child but he would have had a childhood and he would have been in someone's class i mean that's how sir ken robinson talked about absolutely it. so i think that's one number one the second yeah. point is that we must remember that there is a fundamental shift that has happened the fundamental shift that has happened in marketing branding totally is the fact that we no longer have product as a starting point because in the early days of industrial innovation you were trying to find better cleaning products you were trying to better you were trying to do right. visible things right so fundamentally the your yeah. value was created by so you could start with one fourth moisturizing cream then say that that means it is less harmful or less uh, uh, much softer than soap therefore you are going to be have a natural glow and therefore i led you to real beauty but now what happens when i move to shampoo mm. or what happens when i move to something else i don't have an answer that's why it one second thing that the fundamentals of economics have shifted today to say that if you have a strong intangible equity or a space in my head not i mean yeah. then you would like to extend that to delivering other services which is precisely what apple has done dell was always a computer company and we didn't like we didn't get into too much of you know music players from there we could have but that's a, that's a, that's these yeah. are i think very you know um, fundamentally important things to understand that that's why we say that you must translate things from i make to saying we solve which means that i understand dear person on the street my friend wife whoever that you have living your life and there is something that you would like done better or there's something that i can probably come in and add value to you and here is how i'm going to do it so technology is an enabler a startup is actually about an innovation that is going to come in and do this but i think that whole fundamental yep. of including the external perspective into your solution making understanding the opportunity or market sizing not as i mean if you're going to start another cab hailing service today you are not going to see your current category and competition as total amount of followers on uber plus ola plus whatever else it is right there is no point i mean they're already there yeah. i mean why will they come to you so that, that that's really and why will they come to you is again a human question you go to go and to all those people and say what are you not happy with so the that's really i think the the major way to to look at it and i think uh, many startups i mean we were looking at uh, some data on failery.com on why most startups fail and i think most of it about 40% of the time it's 
product market fit and it's related to you know um, not getting uh, you know uh, this this whole aspect really right you know and there is about an 18 odd percent which is about internal culture which is a different issue but i think most right. of the time it's about getting this you know will people like or will people buy or will they keep coming back for whatever it is that you have to offer and is the per problem large enough and you know sort of perpetuating enough for you to continue to be having an innovation pathway and a constant stretch of evolution so we have a very interesting situation here in singapore and as somebody who's not here today you might have a take on this so let me ask you air asia with whom both of us are quite yes. familiar i mean air asia also has a operation in india today um and obviously it's a well known global brand um now is beginning food delivery in singapore obviously most of their planes are grounded i'm not even sure how many flights they're running anymore um and tony fernandez gave an interview to a few publications the other day where he spoke about um you know uh, how he's going to differentiate by offering the restaurants and establishments to keep more money now tony of course is a man who takes big bets and he has a fantastic sense of what works um and he himself has run this highly successful path breaking company for many years and retail music before that um but in your opinion when people make these rather dramatic crossovers um from let us say a mature segment where you were the clear market leader and then a black swan event happens or a certain cataclysm happens and then you need to reorient yourself trying to keep your core proposition which is customer service and delivery intact but pivoting otherwise pivoting that into a totally different category which has been fought over uh, by other players who are recent and younger where do you think it takes the brand i mean air asia i don't know whether air asia will spin out a separate brand that is entirely possible we don't know but what does it do for air asia the brand so i think it's it's a great question kasto so basically the way we understand this is that if you are a brand defined as an idea you are definitely not restrained by category in fact uh, the only the okay. limitation so it is there is something called the ends of matrix which uh, you know we always use in our presentations where we basically yeah. say it's the same product going to new markets or this you know new market new product all of these extensions are possible so to that extent this yeah. pivot uh, is not is interesting and it it if the right set of uh, learnings are and there has to be obviously i'm sure he has done a hard nosed business assessment forget about what he's telling the press of saying that yeah. movement of people and versus movement of food um, you know they are they i mean as i said i mean i just made a linkage in my head but i'm sure that the whole logistics and how everything mm. moves the economics of it and the entire value chain because also in these it's very important to understand that the total value chain how much are you going to keep in an airline business you yeah. are keeping almost all of it you have the i mean whatever are your costs are your costs people and aircraft leasing and all of that but your overall contribution is then for us to keep and all of that in the food business there are other partners who are equally interested and there is a rate right between the two of you so all of those yeah. are are completely business dynamics that need to be figured out at a model level coming back to the 
brand itself yes if air asia uh, currently stands for you know a low cost affordable travel then i think it might be a bit of a jump with the air asia name because it's got an air in it i mean recently dunkin donuts dropped donuts from its name it becomes yeah. too restrictive so i think uh, what hmm. it will do to the brand is in, i mean if they continue as air asia and you know bringing the best of their catering or something you know i don't know what linkage they'll find it will be very uh, it will be interesting which basically means that you know you have you are very clear about what is what makes air asia successful in terms of those intangibles right the equities in people's heads Right. The the culturally, what your people are always, I mean, customer obsession. I mean, Amazon takes it to a point of you know totality, right? On when you talk about customer obsession. So, what are some of those key key um, things that have made them successful? If they are able to understand that very clearly, and then extend it uh, to this new business, whether it's with a new new name or uh you know xyz z by air asia that's up to them to decide right it definitely gives air asia a very interesting mm-hmm. dimension um as a brand and that is what brands are supposed to do they are because uh, cost of the uh, concept of category is completely up in the air here i mean um, kiran our founder keeps talking about how rolls royce is now gotten into honey i mean Look, you can never know where yeah. competition will come from, and uh, and and that's the point, right? So, food delivery services in Singapore would never have imagined Air Asia is going to come in and compete, and that's really the point. So, it will do yeah. good things for the brand if they are able yeah. to get the the hard nosed, uh, I mean, synergies that they are going to leverage at the first at the business level, and then you know, understanding what intangibles, which is equities in consumers' minds, practices, and cultural things that make them who they are. You know? end of the day it's people and people it's not ai so that's where i think yeah. it will be great for the brand if i hope they succeed great so um we had a very interesting chat this morning and um thank you very much for your time um on the next episode when we talk more um perhaps we can talk a little bit more about you know the profession of branding and the metrics around branding and what great branding is all about not necessarily only in startups although we could talk more and yeah. more about that for sure but um, for the branding industry itself um, i mean as a profession uh, where does it stand and what are its challenges um, how is it doing in the you know in the background of big data and uh, analytics um, i think one of the things that i've noticed is um and i say this with a lot of regret that there has been a de-emphasis on both marketing and branding in the overall world of tech driven innovation and yet we want brands to be built and succeeded uh, this uh, this this uh, to succeed i beg your pardon that was a trip up on my side but this is a fundamental dichotomy that has to be addressed you cannot build a product expect it to succeed and then not emphasize and invest enough into the brand um if you are choosing a chief technology officer today to build your brand that's excellent my question is why does the chief marketing officer come as an afterthought right so these are some of the issues why has why have the four p's of marketing been deemphasized on the other hand we talk about influencers and storytelling and uh, narratives and so on and uh, i want to dig deeper into these aspects over the next few episodes and also talk a little bit about data analytics 
Um, and maybe we can get a couple of people in as well and maybe have a little bit of an audio quarrel. I want to violently disagree with people and um, see how they respond. And it might at least relieve us all of boredom. Otherwise, you know, we are all locked up in our minds. All right. Anirban Mazum, thank you very much. Excellent conversation as always and hope to speak thank to you, you again Pastor. soon. Thank you for having me on the sandal. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.